Stories and content in Weird Darkness can be disturbing for some listeners and is intended for mature audiences only. Parental discretion is strongly advised. Welcome, Weirdos. I'm Darren Marlar, and this is a special archive episode of Weird Darkness. Here you'll find stories of the paranormal, supernatural, mysterious, macabre, unsolved, and unexplained. If you have a dark tale for me to tell, you can share it with me at WeirdDarkness.com. And be sure to subscribe if you've not done so already so you don't miss a single episode. And if you already consider yourself an official weirdo, please help me get the word out by sharing a link to this episode in your social media and thanks in advance for doing so. Now, bolt your doors, lock your windows. Here's an honest question. How are you supposed to know what to do with your money? Very few of us are exposed to meaningful advice on how to manage our finances. Even fewer have the means to get professional financial guidance. Betterment is a platform that was built to do something radical, to give accessible financial advice that puts you first. If you're like most Americans, your money is probably sitting in a savings account, likely earning you next to nothing. Maybe you have an investment account that you're not really sure what to do with. Betterment can help you make sense of what to do with your money. Investing involves risk, but you don't have to know the ins and the outs of the stock market to start investing for your future. Betterment's technology will put your money to work choosing the stocks and strategies that are right for you because we know you have other things to do. Betterment's platform can even provide guidance on what financial goals make sense for you. Give your money a new home with Betterment, peace of mind included. Download the Betterment app today. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-M-E-N-T for the betterment of you. Turn off your lights and come with me into the weird darkness. I've never been a religious person. Of course, I believe in a power that makes us who we are, that helps us and that is fighting to protect us from the other world. I've never been skeptical about the things that others find strange. I've always been interested in finding out what lies beyond our realm of being. I truly believe in ghosts or any supernatural beings. The first time I had a paranormal experience was during my childhood. I can still remember it very clearly. I went with my grandmother to visit her sister. When we arrived at her house, I saw a silhouette made of steam that talked to me. I tried to forget this experience because I was too young and maybe my imagination was creating it. Neither my grandmother or her sister believed me, but I do believe it happened. A few years later, during college, I was having trouble sleeping. After several hours, I started to feel cold and I wanted to cover myself with the blanket, but when I sat upright, I saw something like a black shadow standing near my bed. When I saw it, it stopped moving and it seemed like it was looking at me. I covered myself with the blanket and closed my eyes because I was afraid. After this, I have felt something watching me almost every single day. It's like someone is following me and when I stop and look to the place where I feel that he stands, I feel like he's getting closer. I somehow know that it's a he. I don't think that he wants to hurt me, but I don't feel like he's protecting me either. 
this incident took place in the mid-1980s. My mother died suddenly just a few weeks before this all took place. We were not terribly close as my parents had gotten a divorce during the 1970s. I was living with my boyfriend at his apartment and it was getting dark outside and I had to go get my boyfriend from work at 8 o'clock. I planned on cleaning and finishing my housework. I bent down to pick up something I dropped and, standing back up, I saw, as clear as day, my mother just sitting in the corner of my hallway outside our bedroom. I only saw her for a split second. I even second-guessed if I was seeing things, but it was just too real for me to conclude that it was my imagination. After cleaning up, I collected my boyfriend from work. I was freaked out but not too scared because she didn't really look scary or threatening, and she wasn't doing anything but sitting there. A few hours later, my boyfriend and I were laying in our bedroom and I was telling my boyfriend about what had happened. All of a sudden, there was a boom and all the power cut out. What happened was that the breaker had tripped and the box was wide open, and the breaker box was behind the chair I saw my mother in earlier that day. This freaked us both out and we basically just laid in bed the rest of the night. This morning, I felt my hair being pulled. I normally experience this only in my house. It especially happens in my room, home office and kitchen, and it always seems to happen while I'm alone. Today I felt two tugs at my hair while I was in my room. I've been trying to sleep and then, out of nowhere, I felt a tug. I have medium-length hair, so at one point I thought it was just static or my hair getting caught on something, but then I noticed it happening more often. There was one time when I was alone listening to my music in my room and I felt a tug. Whatever was tugging at my hair pulled my hair so hard that a strand broke off. I felt and heard the strand break, not to mention I was spooked after that. What was odd was that I wasn't wearing any jewelry and I also hadn't done anything with my hair that day. As far as the history on my house, I wasn't made aware that anyone had passed away here or anything of that ilk. I was informed that the house was built in the 1950s. It does show its age from time to time with creaks and weird sounds, but I've not seen anything. Where I grew up, we had a lot of empty lots. I remember one of them had a huge tree growing in the center of the lot. Actually, it was very jungle-like and overgrown. My mother and I would often go past that lot when we went grocery shopping. One day, we were walking next to that land and I suddenly saw what looked like a man hanging from one of the branches. He was wearing a white shirt and white pants. It was not clear because he was a little transparent and I didn't see his face clearly. He did nothing but hang there. Surprisingly, I didn't get scared at all. I told my mother that I saw a hanging man on the tree and she looked and said, there's no one there. So I looked back and he was gone. After a few months, I totally forgot about this incident. Then a few years ago, a very nice family came and built a huge, 
beautiful house on that lot, and they cut down that tree. The owners moved to another house, but they didn't tell us anything. Another family came in, and even they moved after two months. But nobody told anything to anyone. Like this, four or five families moved every two or three months. So this house was totally abandoned. I think that hanging man is still there. That is why nobody can live in that house. The interesting part is I saw a few people cleaning this house a few days ago, and they painted the house. Looks like a new family is going to move in. I hope they stick around longer than the last few families who tried to live there. This is my friend's story. His mother told him this story, which happened when he was a baby, about three or four years old. One day he was playing with a toy with his mother. Then he said he heard the telephone ringing and picked up the receiver and began talking into it. His mother had not heard any ringing from the phone and he was sure he was just playing with the telephone. After talking into the phone for several minutes, he hung up and said, Mom, that was grandmother. She said to tell you goodbye. At that moment, the phone rang for real. His mother answered the phone and she was surprised. It was the unexpected news that his grandma had just died. A lady who moved into her deceased aunt's house began to suspect something was amiss when small objects appeared to move around the house by themselves. However, she became quite alarmed when the TV in the upstairs bedroom came on all by itself. This wasn't a one-off occurrence. It happened regularly at the same time on certain days of the week, and no matter on what channel the TV had been on, it always featured the same channel. Eventually, she began to realize that the TV came on for her aunt's favorite TV shows. She also discovered that if the TV came on by itself, she could tell it to switch off by itself, and it would do so. She even videoed this to prove to stunned neighbors and relatives that it was true. She became convinced that her aunt was continuing to share the home with her and her baby as a result of this activity. I had a period in my late 20s when I wasn't necessarily doing that well. Drinking too much, which left my nervous system shredded and vulnerable. I woke up in sleep paralysis while living in my mom's basement, with a spectral hag floating not far above me, maybe six inches. Classic banshee form, skeletal face, half-rotted in parts, cheekbones exposed, gaping mouth, eye sockets, stringy hair. I just freaked and froze. Not that I would have been able to do anything anyway, as I couldn't move. I was living in a semi-raw, semi-unfinished basement at the time, with styrofoam insulation in the ceiling. I watched in real time as the specter gradually went from 3D to 2D, becoming a shape and a texture of ceiling insulation that completely matched the skeletal hag I had just been seeing. It leaves you wondering if it's your unconscious mind putting pieces together and making patterns, or if it was a true visitation. That house is haunted, and those spirits did not like me. 
Either way, I don't intend on going back to verify. I took a nap midday once. Slight, lucid dream, but nothing spectacular. I woke up to sounds of people talking outside my bay window and moving my porch furniture. I tried to get up to stop them but realized I was in sleep paralysis. Talked myself through it, blinking frequently. The sounds go away but a shadow starts growing in the corner of my living room. I just keep telling myself that it's sleep paralysis but the shadow turns into this very tall black shadow of a witch with black tattered robes hanging off her and long claws. She walks up to me and gets her face close to mine and then vanishes and I can move again. It really bothered me. I don't scare easily, but she was the embodiment of things that scare me. I recently moved into an apartment with my dad, my sister, and my brother. My sister and I share a bedroom. One night, my sister told me that she knew how to contact the dead. I was a little freaked out, but I wanted to try it. I said that we should contact our great-grandma, who died in the 90s. So we did. We began asking her questions like, are you at peace? Are you disappointed in us? Are you in heaven? Are you happy? The only positive answer was she's not disappointed. After that, she told us that she was not at peace, not in heaven, and not happy. We felt like she was there to protect our family. Since I moved in, I have felt a presence, not a good one. I'm always on edge, and I always feel like I'm being watched. My sister said she felt like our grandma wanted us to break the chain. We were holding hands. She looked very scared, so we did. We felt like there was something evil in our room. We sat with the lights on for about an hour before deciding to go to bed. We turned out the lights and soon felt the presence again, only it felt stronger. We sat with our eyes closed. We did not want to see it. But I did anyway. I had a vision in my head of a tall, dark, menacing figure standing near my bed, staring at us. I asked her to turn on the lights and she said no. She felt like it was a demon. Spirits can't do anything to you, but demons can. We began to say the Lord's Prayer and pray in tongues. The presence went away and we turned on the lights. I still feel it, not as prominently as that night, but it's still there. Depression comes to all of us at times. I know personally, as I suffer from depression myself and have most of my life, but if you can't seem to get out of it, if you're in a constant state of sadness, as I was, maybe you're even fighting thoughts of suicide, you will try just about anything to get away from that pain. You might be using drugs or alcohol to try and fight it. And if that's you, please stop and do me a favor. Make one phone call that can save your life. The Hope and Helpline is there for you right now, no matter where you are. You can speak to someone who not only wants to help you, but has likely gone through depression or addiction themselves and are in recovery. They can help you find a way off that dark path you're on in a healthy way. Call 800-830-9804. That's 800-830-9804. Call for yourself 
or call to help someone who can't or won't call on their own. Someone is there 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. 800-830-9804 800-830-9804 IRS Those three letters create more fear in some people than any episode of Weird Darkness ever could. The IRS does not give up until you pay. Trust me, I know. A few years ago, Robin and I were having some major financial difficulties and we found ourselves owing over $10,000 to the IRS. We almost lost our house. But back then, they didn't have something that exists today. If you owe back taxes, you can call Tax Solutions now and get some help. For a limited time, the IRS is offering a tax forgiveness program called Fresh Start and it can help you pay back taxes, avoid tax liens, and get a fresh start. Tax Solutions Now is accredited with the Better Business Bureau and members of the National Association of Tax Professionals. So if you need a fresh start when it comes to your tax burden, call Tax Solutions Now at 800-417-9743. That's 800-417-9743. 800-417-9743. My house was located near an old two-lane highway just outside the city limits of a town named Elizabethan. This area was settled in the late 1760s. Its historical notability is among the most fascinating in the entire state. It's home of the first permanent settlement outside the original 13 colonies, so it's bound to have a lot of history. To be more precise in the description of our home, we settled in a small, three-bedroom home off a one-lane road originally made for logging trails. I've also heard these roads called ridge runners, which were built by moonshiners, so I'm not sure what the original purpose of this road was used for. I'd like to add that moonshining is still prevalent in this area today. In addition, this is an old neighborhood where mostly senior citizens live, so the nights stay very quiet apart from the tree frogs crickets, and a few neighborhood dogs that bark at raccoons or other stray animals that dare venture into their domain. We shared only one street lamp down the road, so besides the tranquility of the quiet country life, unless there was a full moon, it was so dark that you could practically cut it with a knife. Up behind us was another one-lane road with a few old homes, and behind and above that road consists of woods mixed in with some farmland. When we first moved to the area back in the mid-90s, we were told some creepy stories that I presumed to be nothing more than old Southern folklore. I didn't put much thought into it other than just that. Until later. We weren't there even a year when we experienced our first paranormal experience. My older daughter came running into my room late one night and told me she had heard something strange and thought someone was standing outside her bedroom window. She said she was almost asleep when she heard something tapping on her end of the house and then the window. As I explained earlier, this was an old neighborhood, so the likelihood of it being some teenage kid messing around was very small. Her bedroom light was off, so we crept over to her window and, after adjusting our eyes to the darkness, we could see something tall, dark, and slender standing about seven feet from the window it appeared to be a man, but then a little too tall and lanky to be a person. 
We stood there whispering to each other because we couldn't remember if there was a tree outside her room or not. The moon shed just enough light so that we could see something but couldn't tell if it was someone or something standing outside her bedroom window. My husband noticed that I wasn't in bed and got up to see where I was. He turned the hall light on. I motioned for him to turn it off. Once he turned it off and we looked back in the spot, it was completely gone. No sign of anything standing there, not even a bush or a small tree. We were both freaked out, and of course my husband just made a joke of it and summed it up to us girls in our wild imaginations. About a year later, we were asked to move out of that house so that the landlord's brother and family could move in because he'd been out of work for quite some time and could no longer afford to pay rent somewhere else. My parents had bought five acres of land about a mile up the road from us. They had a house built on top of the land slash hill and were just waiting for my dad to retire in six months. We told them our situation, so they gave me two acres of the land to move on. We stayed in their new home while we had a modular home put on the land that they gave me. About six months after we were settled into our new home, one evening I heard someone beating on the back door. We ran to the door to find my daughter's boyfriend, who eventually became her husband. I opened the door and he was white as a ghost. I had him come inside, of course. He stood there pale as a sheet and shaking. He said as he was driving on our road, right about at the road where he used to turn off to go to our old house, he saw this tall, slender thing with stringy hair, no face. He said it was walking on the same side of the road that he was driving and appeared to be walking toward him at first, but then it looked as if its arms and body were walking one direction but his head was facing him. He said it did not have a face, just a head, long black stringy hair facing him, yet the rest of the body was walking and facing the other direction. Fast forward about 10 years. I had been over to my daughter and son-in-law's new house. I took my little Jack Russell. I was driving my Honda Element and had my dog Milo in his cage just behind me. We were on our way back to our house on the same road. I was on the phone talking to my younger daughter telling her that we were almost home when, about a half a mile from the old road cutoff, something that looked like what a werewolf would look like if there was such a thing ran right out in front of me on its hind legs. The only thing was he was somewhat transparent, but just slightly. I was able to see every detail. It was like something you would see in an old sci-fi movie. It looked right at me. I screamed and knew there was no way of missing it. I braced myself for the impact. He looked right in my eyes. It looked straight evil. My dog went crazy and my daughter was yelling at me, thinking I was in an accident. Whatever it was went right through my car. I made my daughter come outside and meet me while I got Milo out of the car and into the house. To this day, I will not drive down that road at night. I don't know if any of these things are related, but I do know there is something about that road and area that really creeps me out, and I hate even going to that area in the daytime. Between 1930 and the early 1950s, 
The Greenville County Tuberculosis Hospital treated hundreds of patients suffering from tuberculosis. Several patients succumbed to the deadly disease, though it's not clear just how many never made it home. After closing for good sometime in the 1950s, the South Carolina hospital sat largely abandoned until a fire ravaged the building in 2002. Before its fiery demise, people exploring the old building claimed to hear screams, sobs, and footsteps pounding down empty halls, and locals say the ghosts are still there. Though the building is long gone, legend has it that deceased patients now haunt Herdklotz Park, which stands where the hospital once did. In Haunted South Carolina, author Alan Brown reports that visitors hear a number of strange sounds on the playground, including banging, screaming, and the clanging of unseen bells. At night, people spot shadows flitting in the darkness. In fact, some people living near the park claim these shadowy beings enter their homes after dark. Reports of pools of blood also surround Herdklotz Park. In Haunted Hospitals of the South, author Randy Russell writes, all that is left of the former sanatorium is a few puddles that turn red with blood after a rain. The puddles are located near a memorial bench in Herdklotz Park. Locals suggest the blood is from patients who died at the TB hospital and that the park bench stands on the site of the institution's former morgue. Last week, my parents went out of town when I spent a few days alone. This was no big deal as I'm 18 and stay alone often, but this time the creepiest thing happened while they were away. One afternoon I was up in my room when the kitchen cabinets downstairs started banging. Now I'm not talking about little thumps and thuds, it sounded like someone was in my house slamming the cabinet doors as hard as they could. Bang! 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 I was sure someone had broken in. I stood there for a minute freaking out and not sure what to do. I eventually snapped out of it and headed to my parents' room to get the gun. Like I said, I was sure someone had forced their way inside the house and was ransacking the place. So I got the gun, loaded it, and left the room. The cabinets kept banging the entire time. I headed downstairs and the second my foot touched the bottom landing, the banging sounds stopped. I mean, one second there were these deafening bangs and the next second it was silent. I thought that whoever was in the house had heard me coming down and was hiding somewhere. I searched the house from top to bottom. I looked under the beds, in the closets, up in the attic, everywhere. There was no one around and nothing had been disturbed. The cabinets were all closed when I got downstairs and the dishes were fine. Once I was sure the house was empty, I grabbed my uniform and went to work two hours early. After my shift, I was too afraid to come home, so I stayed out until two in the morning. Thankfully, nothing happened when I got back, and nothing weird has happened since then. This happened to my dad some years back. The house my parents were living in was a two-bedroom house. There was a small patch of grass in the front of the house, and the veranda was just two steps from the front gate. When visitors arrived during the day, they always walked to the back of the house and knocked on the kitchen door. However, when visitors arrived after dark, 
they would knock on the front door, which was very close to the street. One evening, at around 2000 hours, my mother got into bed. My father joined her a few minutes later. They weren't in bed more than five minutes when, to their complete surprise, they heard a knock at the kitchen door. My father, although somewhat concerned, got out of bed and walked out of the room and toward the kitchen at the back of the house. Somehow, my mother had the feeling of foreboding and called my father back to the bedroom. She said, don't open the door. First, ask who is there. My father replied that was exactly his intention. Then he turned and left the room again. As soon as he walked into the passage, he felt what seemed like hands on his elbows, lifting him entirely off his feet. He was carried down the passage, through the living room, toward the kitchen. He recalled that out of absolute fear he was shouting at the top of his voice, yet there was no sound coming from his mouth. Once he was in the middle of the living room, it felt as though he was being pushed from behind by whatever was carrying him into an invisible wall. Something or someone was stopping him from being carried any further. Suddenly, he was let down ever so gently back onto his feet. He never made it to the kitchen door. He turned and walked right back to the bedroom. My mother recalled that when he walked into the room, the sweat was pouring down his face and there was no color in his face. When he lay down, the bed shook for quite some time before he could calm down and tell her what had happened. They never found out who their night visitor was. In Hillside, Illinois, just outside of Chicago, is Mount Carmel Cemetery. In addition to being the final resting place of Al Capone, Dion O'Banion, and other notorious Chicago mobsters, the cemetery is also the burial place of a woman named Julia Bucola Petta. While her name may not spring to mind as part of Chicago history, for those intrigued by the supernatural, she is better known as the Italian Bride. Julia's grave is marked today by a life-sized statue of the unfortunate woman in her wedding dress, a stone reproduction of the wedding photo that is mounted on the front of her monument. While a beautiful monument, there is nothing about it to suggest that anything weird ever occurred in connection to it. However, once you know the history behind the site, you'll soon realize that this is one of the weirdest tales in Chicago's annals of the unknown. Julia was born on June 6, 1891, in Italy. Her father George passed away in 1913, and her mother, Philomena, emigrated to the United States with her daughter. They traveled to the west side of Chicago, where three other Bucola children, Henry, Joseph, and Rosalia, were already settled. In June 1920, Julia married Matthew Petta at Holly Rosary Church on North Damon Avenue. Julia became pregnant soon after the wedding, but complications occurred, and on March 17, 1921, Julia died while giving birth to her son, Filippo. Because of the Italian tradition that dying in childbirth made the woman a type of martyr, Julia was buried in white, the martyr's color. Her wedding dress also served as her burial gown, and with her dead infant tucked into her arms, the two were laid to rest in a single coffin at Mount Carmel Cemetery. Philomena Bakula was inconsolable over her daughter's death. Shortly after Julia was buried, Philomena began to experience strange and terrifying dreams every night. 
In these nightmares, she envisioned Julia telling her that she was still alive and needed her help. For the next six years, the dreams plagued Philomena, and she began trying without success to have her daughter's grave opened and her body exhumed. She was unable to explain why she needed to do this. She only knew that she should. Finally, through sheer persistence, her request was granted, and a sympathetic judge passed down an order for Julia's exhumation. In 1927, six years after Julia's death, the casket was removed from the grave. When it was opened, Julia's body was found not to have decayed at all. In fact, it was said that her flesh was still as soft as it had been when she was alive. A photograph was taken at the time of the exhumation and shows Julia's incorruptible body in the casket. Philomena set out to raise money for a more elaborate tombstone. The finished work would be a grandiose tribute to her dead daughter, a life-size sculpture of Julia on her wedding day. Her mother and other admirers affixed the postmortem photo of Julia on the front of her grave monument. Below the image is the Italian phrase, Prese dopo six anni morta, which roughly translates to taken six years after death. A photo of Julia in her bridal gown, presumably the inspiration for the statue, was also fastened to the stone. The postmortem photograph shows a body that appears to be fresh with no discoloration of the skin, even after six years. The rotted and decayed appearance of the coffin in the photo, however, bears witness to the fact that it had been underground for some time. Julia appears to be merely sleeping. Her family took the fact that she was found to be so well-preserved as a sign from God, and so, after collecting money from other family members and neighbors, they created the impressive monument that stands over her grave today. What mysterious secret rests at the grave of Julia Petta? How could her body have stayed in perfect condition after lying in the grave for six years? Many devout Catholics in the neighborhood believed that Julia's incorruptibility meant that she was a saint. Skeptics scoffed at the idea, claiming that the postmortem photo must have been taken before she was originally buried, although this doesn't explain the condition of the casket or the decomposition of the infant that is nestled in her arms. Another explanation was attributed to adipocir, also known as corpse wax, a waxy substance consisting chiefly of fatty acids and calcium soaps that is formed during decomposition of dead body fat in moist or wet anaerobic conditions. In other words, the shape and state of Julia's body was preserved by a natural process. Of course, these explanations did little to dispel the local belief that Julia's preserved body was proof of a miracle. But was it, really? There are stories that have since been told about her mother, Philomena, questioning the reality of her dreams. There were those who claimed that she fabricated the entire story as retaliation for a marriage of which she did not approve. She never liked Matthew Petta, the stories say, and this story is given some credence by the fact that Julia's married name does not appear on the grave monument, only Mukula. But if Philomena lied about her nightmares to gain sympathy from the community and to help finance the building of the elaborate monument, how does this explain the post-mortem photograph? The photo of Julia in her casket, six years after her death, appears to be real. It has defied explanation for nearly a century. And that's not the end of this odd story. 
reports have been told over the years of a ghostly woman in white who has been seen wandering at the edge of the cemetery where she rests. Stories claim to have seen her in the daytime and at night, and many who know the story of Julia Petta believe that this is her restless spirit. One eerie tale that was told involved a young boy who was accidentally left behind at the cemetery, not far from Julia's grave. When they returned to Mount Carmel to look for him, they saw him holding the hand of a dark-haired young woman in a white dress. When the boy ran toward his parents, the woman in white disappeared. The story of the Italian bride lives on today. It's the story of a woman who became more famous in death than she ever was in life, a prime ingredient for many eerie tales. In the small town of Irondequoit, outside of Rochester, is Durand Eastman Park. The park is frequented by many hikers and nature enthusiasts who spend their days exploring the vast area, enjoying its pristine beauty. But there are others who travel to this park for far different reasons. They come from far and wide and make their way to the crumbling remains of a structure that sits near Lake Ontario along Lakeshore Boulevard. They aren't here to enjoy any pristine beauty. Instead, they are looking for a glimpse of the mysterious crumbling remains of the White Lady's Castle. Before this area became Durant Eastman Park, this was the home of a reclusive woman and her teenaged daughter. The daughter was very beautiful and was pursued by many young male suitors. Her mother, however, was incredibly protective and insisted that she ignore the charms of these boys and spend her time at home in their isolated estate. The mother warned her daughter of the danger these young men presented and told her that they had nothing but unsavory intentions. Her daughter was respectful of her mother's warnings, but still secretly longed for the company of a young man. One night, the daughter left their home to take a walk down to the shores of the lake. Her mother waited up all night for her, but the young woman never returned. The mother convinced herself that her daughter had met a young man from the area and must have run off with him but some people believed that the young woman was far too devoted to her mother to have not returned home that night, and for this reason they say that the girl must have been murdered that evening. Unable to cope with her daughter's disappearance, the mother took to wandering the desolate area every night with her two white dogs, looking for her daughter or the young man she had run off with. People would see the grief-stricken old woman out on her solitary walk every night wearing a white dress. Eventually, after years of her nightly vigils, the old woman died alone and heartbroken. Her house fell into disrepair, eventually to the point where it was nothing more than a foundation. Teenagers began using the area as a lover's lane, driving out to the quiet private area with their dates. Reports began spreading of something very unusual taking place at the site. Many of these young couples were scared away from their amorous activities after seeing a white apparition, followed by two ghostly dogs coming toward their car. Some even reported seeing the specter rising out of the waters of the lake, always flanked by two dogs. Most witnesses say they are Dobermans. The tragic story of the mother and daughter was remembered and passed down from one generation to the next for years now. The foundations of their former home have come to be called White Lady Castle. 
and she is known to all in the area as the White Lady. Today, Durand Eastman Park is frequented by many curious locals and ghost hunters who spend their evenings in the vicinity of the White Lady Castle hoping for a glimpse of this enigmatic entity and retelling the legend of how she came to wander. I first visited the White Lady's castle not knowing any of the legends associated with it. My friend had just heard that it was a good drinking spot where kids from different high schools congregated to cause trouble, so we made our way down there hoping to join the party. And there were a lot of teenaged miscreants who hung out there on weekends, at least in the early 80s when I was of the proper teenage miscreanting age. When we got there it seemed unimpressive, just an old foundation tucked away in the park. But the locals filled us in on the real deal of the place, told us all about the lady who used to live in the building who showed up looking for her daughter. We were told that she was particularly aggressive towards men, especially ones who were disrespectful of women. One story they told us was of a real wannabe tough guy. You know the type. High school jock, thinks he's hot stuff, says whatever he wants to anyone at any time. The type of guy who people despise but who for some reason runs the show and gets the girl in those teenage years. Well, he had this girl in high school, and everyone knew he was hitting her, cursing her out and all sorts of awful things. So one day he brought her back to the park to make out in their car, and she did something wrong spilled a soda on him or something trivial like that, and he went nuts. He started yelling at her, calling her stupid, and even shook her up a little bit physically. Well, the next thing anyone knows, there was this white flash outside the car and the sound of something banging against the door. He turned around, freaked out, thinking someone's messing with him. Being a testosterone-ridden jock, he gets out looking for a fight, only to come face-to-face with the White Lady. No one knows exactly what he saw or what happened, but the girl told everyone that when he got in the car his face was all scratched and he wouldn't speak. He was never the same. He barely graduated high school and became totally antisocial. Nowadays he still lives with his parents and never leaves his house. He just sits silent in his room all day watching TV. Now, I don't know that this story is true. In fact, I never heard anyone tell it except that specific group of guys, and I've heard stories about this place for decades. But to be standing at the White Lady's castle, hearing about how the White Lady hates men, knowing you came out looking for trouble, well, that will put a little bit of fear in you. Congratulations to Julie Danielson. She is this week's Weird Darkness podcast retweet winner and is receiving a Weird Darkness coffee mug. Next week's winner receives a Weird Darkness t-shirt. If you want to win, it's easy to register. Follow Weird Darkness on Twitter and then retweet the posts when you see them. You can retweet as many of them as you'd like. The more you retweet, the greater your chance of winning. So follow Weird Darkness right now and get to retweeting, you weirdo. This episode of Weird Darkness is brought to you by MyPillow, but rather than me telling you about it, how about I let one of my weirdo family members tell you about it? Kitty commented, My husband works out of state the majority of the time, and when he left, he wanted to take his MyPillow with him. That's how much he loves his. 
and Kitty is trying out her own MyPillow as well because she heard about them on Weird Darkness and was able to get two premium MyPillows for one low price. Go to MyPillow.com and use the promo code WEIRD. That's MyPillow.com and then use the promo code WEIRD. Thanks for joining me for this archive episode of Weird Darkness. Do you have a dark tale to tell? You can share your story at WeirdDarkness.com and I might use it in a future episode. And if you like the show, please share a link to this episode on all of your social media, tell your friends about the show, and please leave a rating and review – I might read your review here in the podcast. If you'd like to support the show, you can become a patron. Patrons get commercial-free versions of Weird Darkness and early access a month early to the Weird But True video series. Plus, patrons get exclusive content such as chapters of horror and paranormal books that I'm narrating into audiobooks as I record them. Learn more about becoming a patron at WeirdDarkness.com. Also on the site, you can get the free mobile app, follow me on social media, join the Weirdos online community, see where I'm going to be on location in the future, and on the page labeled Weird Web, you'll get stories I didn't use in the podcast, fan art, pictures that weirdos like you send in to me, a weekly zombie comic strip, that and a whole lot more at WeirdDarkness.com. I'm your creator and host, Darren Marlar. Again, thanks for joining me in this archive episode of Weird Darkness. This episode of Weird Darkness is brought to you by the terrifying audiobook The Chilling True Terror of the Black-Eyed Kids, a monster compilation by G. Michael Vasey. This terrifying sequel to the book Black-Eyed Kids has stories of small children turning up on people's doorsteps all across the world, spreading fear and terror, and these stories have only increased over time. Supernatural expert G. Michael Vasey carefully investigates this truly terrifying phenomenon using real-life encounters with these scary supernatural beings. The result is an unsettling and sometimes terrifying book that will have you fearfully anticipating the next knock at your door. Who and what are these mysterious visitors to the doorstep? Are they demons? Aliens? What do they want? Why do they need to enter your home and what happens if they do? small kids that ask to use your phone or ask for a ride, and yet those that encounter them are scared to death even before they notice the black eyes. The Chilling True Terror of the Black-Eyed Kids, a monster compilation by G. Michael Vasey, narrated by Weird Darkness host Darren Marlar. Hear a free sample on the audiobooks page at WeirdDarkness.com. Get the audiobook free by signing up for a 30-day free trial of Audible.